Well, I don't know about if your fridge looks like mine, but it's filled with leftovers. Um, I, I don't know. I, I have a few leftovers still. Maybe you don't have many leftovers from Thanksgiving, but uh, we do uh, have a few. And, and I gave away some things and sent some pies away and all kinds of stuff. But I did fit the same notch on my belt today than, that I did last week, but barely. Just that was it was a it was a struggle there. But anyways. Um, uh, reason I say that is sometimes we, th- we think of that. Now, last week we were talking about Thanksgiving, and I thought as I was preparing for this week, I said, I wonder if there's something we could talk about about leftovers. So that's where this message came from, uh, me looking inside my fridge. How about that? And uh, all that. But uh, it was like the little boy who um, he went to Thanksgiving dinner at one of his grandmother's houses, and uh, one of his grandmothers, and they had a great big feast, and he ate and ate and ate. He was so full. And then he found out the next day they were going to the other grandmother. So sure enough, they, they went to the other grandmother and, and uh, ate another big meal. Oh, man, he was so full and all that. And well, he got all these leftovers. And the next day, they were sitting around the family table with all this food again. And, and uh, his mother looked at him and said, uh, uh, little Johnny, his name was, he says, uh, why, don't, why don't you ask the Lord's blessing again on this, on this feast that we have before us? And so he looked at all that food and he said, Lord, stretch me. Oh, and maybe you feel a little stretched. I don't know. Hopefully not. Hopefully not. But anyways, I want to talk about God's leftovers this morning. Um, And sometimes we think of leftovers almost in a negative connotation. But the great thing about the Lord is this, that at his table of grace, there are a, a sufficient amount for everyone, not only in the here and now, but forever. And the Bible is filled with all kinds of different accounts of the, the Lord providing and doing that. And I, I thought of one account that stood out, and that's from John chapter 6. And a few years ago, we were in the Gospel of John. It took us over a year to go through it. And we were in this chapter, uh, and I kind of a little different message on this. But uh, John chapter 6 is the account from John's perspective, anyways. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke also record this event of the feeding of the multitude of 5,000, as it's listed here. There were most likely much more than that. That was the number of men that were listed there, but probably there were women and children as well. And we read of this account, and I kind of thought of that as, I, I kind of, we had some people in and uh, for Thanksgiving dinner, and it's always a blessing to do that. But as you know, if you host people coming, you know, you want to make sure everything's there, you have enough food, you want to do that. We always have plenty of food. And I'm thankful for that. Uh, but there's always that thought, like, uh-oh, what if, what if there's more people that show up? Or what if there's another person that comes? Or, and, you know, you want to make sure. And I can only imagine what it was like on that day um, when Jesus was uh, over on the Sea of Galilee. And it says here uh, he, was, uh, he was standing there, and he's looking at a crowd of people that have gathered These were people most likely coming to celebrate Passover because it is the time of Passover, a time of feasting, but a time also to remember that God had provided a lamb. In particular, the tradition of the Passover, of course, pictured way back there in the Exodus when God uh, told the Jewish people, uh, the Israelites, when they were in uh, bondage in Egypt, that he was going to deliver them. Remember, he sent plagues on the Egyptians and the final one being that of the Passover. And it required in, for the Jewish households and for those present in that, that they had to just trust God. That's always what God just wants us to do is to trust him and his plan. Didn't tell him how he was going to do it, but he said, 
that the firstborn of every creature and the firstborn of every household is going to die unless you take a, a lamb and you kill it, you shed its blood, you take the blood and you apply that, that blood on the doorpost and on the lintel of your house. When I see the blood, I will pass over. And that was commanded of the Jewish people to continue celebrating the Passover from year to year. And there were some years they did, some years they didn't, because they were in exile and other times. But for the centuries to follow, including up to this present time, uh, Passover is observed, a very uh, holy and high uh, holiday in the uh, events of the Jewish people. But they picture for us really a great sacrifice, the sacrifice of Christ. And the timing of this event in John 6 is at that time of Passover. People, are their minds would have been on that. But yet, there's this great crowd that is gathered and there's nothing to eat. And that is something that was a, a very serious matter. And so I want to talk about that this morning. And we're going to read from John chapter 6, verses 1 to 14. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And then a great multitude followed him. Because they saw his signs which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? And then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, and so the men sat down in number about five thousand. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given them, he dis, or when he had given thanks, uh, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, "Gather up the fragments that remain, so that nothing is lost." Therefore they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. And then those men, when they had seen this sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Lord, we come to you this morning recognizing, Lord, we are in need of the feeding of our souls. And Lord, we thank you that you are the bread of life. And we thank you, O Lord, that we can gather even today and, and hear your word freely. And we ask, Lord, that you would have free course in our hearts and our minds today. The Holy Spirit would have his way. In Jesus' name, amen. God's leftovers. We see in the end of this passage that we read that, that there were still fragments of the fish and the loaves still out there and Jesus told his disciples go pick that up gather it up and put it in the basket and and lo and behold there were exactly 12 baskets now how many disciples were there 12 right and actually later on in this chapter down there around verse 67 
uh, Jesus calls them the twelve, or that's how they're called, the twelve. And I don't think it was by coincidence that there were twelve baskets of leftovers. And I don't think they were just little baskets. I think these were probably big baskets. That's most likely the kind of baskets people used as they would use those for various functions. And they didn't carry around just little baskets. They carried around something that they could manage but would be big enough to hold what they needed. And we see that that's what goes on here. And I just want to look back at this text. It's probably a very familiar text to you. I've heard many messages out of this over the years. I've preached out of this, or or at least one of the gospel accounts of this, several different times. But I'm always reminded that God is a God who continues to provide. And he provides physically for us. I can say that when I sat at Thanksgiving table back last Thursday... I truly indeed was thankful for all the provision that was there. But I often think, too, that there are times when people weren't necessarily, believers did not have a lot of food at a table. Or maybe they themselves did not have Thanksgiving as a meal or whatever. And I am mindful that, you know, there needs to be more than just our physical food. Because this world sometimes throws at us tough times And just as in Jesus' day, sometimes there's crowds of hungry people. And you know what? There's still crowds of hungry hungry people out there in the world. That solution has never been dealt with and never been fixed. And it won't be so long as we live in a fallen world. That's the way it is. But uh, I would say Jesus was concerned about these things. And I want to talk about this. If you want an outline, I have seven points out of this text. And the first one is this, that Jesus desires that they should be fed you see we have a savior who is concerned for for people he looks out at a crowd and he didn't just see the crowd but he saw the individuals that made up that crowd and he knew that they were hungry and yet they were gathered there they were gathered there to hear him and here's jesus and he sees them and he sees a need that they have and he recognizes that and i must say it says that in verse five it says Then Jesus lifted up his eyes, and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And there's a lot that could be said about that, but in essence, what Jesus was doing is he was going to show his disciples, and he was going to teach those present much more than just the fact that he could perform a miracle, because that's what was going to happen. I don't think anybody except Jesus knew that that was going to happen at that time. But Jesus was going to demonstrate that it wasn't just the bread, this bread that he was going to make that was what was important. But I see here Jesus taking the initiative. He lifts up his eyes. He sees a need. And by the way, he looks at us and he sees our need as well. Not only our physical need, but our spiritual need. Do you know that Jesus took the initiative? God the Father sent his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him, what shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God started the whole plan. He looked down and he saw us in our mess of sin and all the problems that are associated with the fallen world and fallen people, and he took compassion on us. Actually, it's in Matthew's gospel that it says that very thing about this text. It says, having compassion on them. He is a God of compassion. He is a savior of compassion. And it's a good thing because we're not always compassionate. But he loved us before we loved him. 
Matthew 14, 14, And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them and healed their sick. We read in that same text that not only did he do this great miracle, but at the same time, during that, that whole incident and the events around it, that he was healing. He was performing other signs. He was doing that. And he met the needs of those that were present in that very time. He reminds us of that. My friends, if you want a heart like Jesus, you need to lift up your eyes sometimes. I often, when I uh, meet somebody that's maybe a little discouraged or sometimes a friend, somebody I know, sometimes people I don't know. And you know, sometimes you meet strangers and they tell you their life story and how rough it is. And I often tell them, hey, look up. Because this world you'll not be happy in sometimes, but you can look up and God won't let you down. And Jesus lifts up his eyes. He looks out and he sees my friends, we need to look out and we need to see the needs of others and be compassionate like he is. Secondly, Jesus knows where the supply comes from. See, it wasn't, it wasn't like Jesus was concerned that we aren't going to be able to feed this crowd. He knew. He knew exactly what would take place. And by the way, he knows all things. And he knew the beginning from the end and he knew everything about it. And by the way, he knows you specifically. He knows your very needs today whether they're material needs or spiritual needs or some kind of emotional need, he has that in mind. Jesus knows where the supply to meet those needs comes from. It comes from God. It comes from his heavenly Father and, and he being God the Son. And it really, the Godhead is what we call the triune God involved in this great miracle that takes place. Verse 6 says, but this he said to test him. Who is he testing? He's testing one of his disciples. He looks at Philip and he says, he says, you know, how are we going to buy bread, right? And uh, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And he doesn't say the how, but where. And Philip immediately begins to calculate in his mind, just looking out there at the crowd, what would be needed just to give people a little morsel. Sometimes we think too small, don't we? Uh, I'm like that. I look out and I say, oh Lord, I don't know how this will ever happen. And I, if we just are able to do this little thing, right? I remember when we were missionaries in Kiev, Ukraine. We uh, moved into a region uh, that was a newer district. It was about 40,000 people that lived there. And there were all these high-rise apartment buildings. Uh, and they the church we were attending, a Ukrainian church, they were uh, praying about that region because there was no church at all, no cult, nothing going on there. It was just, you know, a bunch of people that lived there. And, and it wasn't a, lo- a very far distance, okay, but it was one of those things that to have a church right in that district would have been really, really special, you know, for the people, the believers, there were believers from there that traveled. So they started a church planting team. And they were nice enough to invite some of the American missionaries to join them. Because, <laughs> by the way, if we had enough, they have still done it. Because they just were following the Lord. And I had an opportunity. I didn't know the language yet. Not much of the language at all. Uh, and we were just there a couple months when all this started to unfold. And we went to this district and we just distributed invitations to a Sunday school. That's all we did invitations to a Sunday school. We had a date on it. And to say we distributed them, we went into each building, and there were all these mailboxes in the front of the lobby of the building, and we just stuffed these mailboxes. That's all we did. And 
I'm thinking, oh, we'll probably get 20 or 30 people that show up or whatever uh, that come out for this Sunday school that we were going to start. And lo and behold, when the time came, we had about 200 that showed up. And that was kids, because it was really focused towards young kids, but uh, it was also their parents that came, wanted to see what this was all about. And out of that, a church started, and it didn't go anything like what they taught you in college, right? I went to a Christian college and, and to MBBI before that, and I, I took uh, uh, courses on missions and all kinds of different things, and they teach about church planting, and, and it's never the same, by the way, anywhere, because it's God's work. And I'm thinking, well, year one, this is where you'll be. Year two, you'll do this. Year three, maybe by year four, you might have leadership in that church, and you can hand it over to them. And, and in about three months, we saw a church start. Like, I mean, like 50 people meeting and all kinds of stuff happening. And, and it grew from there and it still grows and is going on today. Most likely meeting today in a very cold room because most of the city of Kiev is without electricity because the power stations in Ukraine have been bombed this last week. And they only have power maybe a couple hours a day. And, and so... Believers are meeting there, and I'm thankful. They've already met because their time was this early this morning because they're um, about seven or eight hours ahead of us right now, seven hours. Um, anyways, uh, Jesus knew where this provision would come. Though we may look out and say, yeah, I could only give a little, and there would have to be a lot of money to give a little. Jesus looks out, he sees the need, and he's able to meet not only the need of the individual, but for the whole crowd. And I'm glad for that. See, his grace is like that. He extends grace to us, and it never runs out. And it never falls short. He's like that. Well, thirdly, Jesus seeks the involvement of his people. Specifically here, his disciples. When in verse 5, it says that uh, he said to Philip. Jesus didn't, like, place a you know telephone he didn't have telephone right but call up and i need a caterer all right need a caterer who can feed five thousand men hungry men and probably their families too can you do it no jesus looked to one of his disciples he said hey philip where are we going to buy bread for this crowd you know what he was going to do he's going to use his disciples in the dispensing of this miracle that would take place I love that because God wants his people to be involved in the dispensing of his miracle, really. And there's a picture here of, of really, as we minister for the Lord, um, it's more than just physical needs that are met, but spiritual needs that are met. And he always wants us involved in that. And I, I've always counted that sort of as a mystery, like why, Lord, would you choose people who are weak and flawed and can do some terrible things sometimes and mistakes they make. And why would you take people like me and you and use us to take on such a serious role? I wonder that sometimes as a pastor. I'm sitting there going, wow, Lord, why would you call me to ministry? Remember in in, uh, Timothy, in Paul's letter to Timothy, he says, counting me faithful right placing me in the ministry and i and i'm thinking about that sometimes i read that and it's so convicting why lord why i know myself i live with me why would i be 
in a position where I have to get up on a Sunday morning and give people something to, to feed on spiritually. And I just say, thank you, Lord. And the reason is very simple. He wants us to be involved. And he's gifted his people in certain ways. I love it that Philip, Philip had a mind. He could look out at that crowd and he could assess things. Maybe he was the guy that could do that. I don't know. You have Andrew. Andrew's in this text too. And Andrew, he's the guy that always was out there gathering people in. He would be your connections. You know, I know a guy that knows a guy, right? And that's the way he was. He would, he would hey, I found this little boy. Guess what he's got? Some bread and fish. Oh boy, you know. Sometimes we need to do more with less. Right? And we find that. Well, Jesus seeks the involvement of his people. And oh, I am thankful that that's the kind of people that he uses. He uses little gifts, right? I already mentioned this, but in verse 6, or verse 9, I mean, there is a lad here who has, a, has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Jesus makes use of the little things. By the way, this is one of the few times you have a fisherman, right? Andrew, that's what his background is, where he looks and he talks about small fish, okay? Usually fishermen are talking about how big the fish are, right? Even if they're little, they always do that. But he was a realist too. He said, these are small fish. And only five barley loaves. These were not big loaves. They were just small little loaves that would have been counted maybe enough for a family to eat. Perhaps that's what he had. Maybe he had been sent somewhere with his family or to his, by, his, by his family or whatever. Maybe he was sent out to buy those things. I don't know. But that's all they had. And there's a lot that could be said about the little lad and the fact that he was willing to give up his lunch. Right? Sometimes we're not even willing to do that. This little boy was willing to do that. And Andrew, of course, uh, saw that this was something maybe the Lord could use. And may I say this, that God is a God who can take the small things and he can multiply them over and over and over again. As I've said, I've seen that time and time again. Last week, I looked in this globe that's down here. If you come to Sunday school, let me pick it up here for a second. We have this globe, and I think this has been here probably since about the beginning of the church, huh? Yeah. And, and every Sunday, the Sunday school opening, we sing a little missionary song, and little kids come up, and they put in their quarters and dimes and dollars, and, and, and I was amazed last week, I looked over there, and the thing was overflowing. And I said, how'd that happen? It happened one little gift at a time with little feet and little legs running up to the front. They run up. Oh, I love that. Hey, listen. Adults, we sit there and we hold our wallets. No, no. You, you can't get it. Little kids are like, give me more. I want to go give more. You know, they, they're just like that. And there's some money in there today. And I, I say, Lord, thank you for the little gifts. Over the years, those gifts from these kids have gone to help other people. And I'm thankful for a church. You folks are givers that way. And that this message is not about you giving. It's about how God is able to take small things and he's able to do mighty things with them. And I think the amount of times that a small offering has gone in to help 
someone hear the gospel, maybe for the very first time. And I'll tell you what, I'm so thankful for those that invested here in the St. John Valley so that when I was 18 years old, I had a Christian who sat down with me and shared the gospel with me. I had a couple of Christians that did that. And it made sense. And I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus. Threw away my religion and all the stuff that was holding me back. And that's what it was. Really just a crutch of holding me back in traditions. And instead, I trusted the one who gives us more than just our physical bread. Our spiritual bread. What are these or they among so many? Do you know the Bible says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. Sometimes when I say, Lord, why did you put me in the ministry? Because I was a foolish thing. That's probably why. But he takes those things that, things that the world would say, that's crazy. Why, right? And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. Do you know you don't have the might of the Roman emperor, Caesar, at that scene on that day with Jesus and the, and the thousands of people? He could have fed them. Caesar had wealth. Rome had wealth. They had roads to distribute you know, their goods and everything else. And they certainly could have arranged so thousands of people could have eaten. But they're not there. Instead, it was God who was going to do that. And he was going to use a little boy and a disciple that thought maybe God could, maybe Jesus can do something with this. Why? He takes and he does these things, the weak things of the world, to put to shame the things which are mighty. Put to shame the things which are mighty. And I think of that, the amount of charity that goes on this time of year is, is great. And it is mostly of people uh, of faith. That is statistically borne out uh, in various surveys and studies. And I think of the amount of times people have gathered around tables, maybe at your table, and have eaten a meal. Feeding thousands, perhaps. Oh, there's lots like that. And he goes on, he says, The base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not, to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. It's one thing when you are standing there with a crowd and all of a sudden the caravans of wagons or whatever filled with bread show up. The bread trucks roll in. And they begin to distribute all this bread to people. It's another thing when you just have a little lad there with some bread and fish and it's in a basket, that's it. It's just that, not much. You know, no flesh can glory in that. But we could glory in the Lord if God could take something so small and he could make something so great out of it. That's the way the Lord is. He promises to do it just like that. Fifth thing, God's provisions. He teaches that he himself, Jesus himself, is all sufficient for the need. And that's the point of this whole miracle. It's actually the point of this chapter. This chapter is filled, it's really the discourse on 
Jesus, who is the bread of life. And he begins with this miracle to show the people present that it's not about the bread itself, but it's about the one who gave you bread. Verse 11. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. Jesus gave thanks. Think about that. That's a pattern. He's the one that's going to perform the miracle. And yet, he gives thanks. He gives thanks to God. Uh, Why wouldn't we do any less? We are to give thanks. Sometimes it's a powerful testimony, you know that? If you pause sometimes in the middle of your busy day, and you may not have any other Christians around you, but just say, pause and bow your head and pray for your, over the, the, be thankful for what God has given you. What a difference, right? What a difference. We live in a world of unthankfulness and ingratitude, and so often a little bit of thanks goes a long ways, and when we pause and say, God, thank you for giving me Uh, this little bit of bread that you've given me today or whatever it is a cold glass of water thank you Lord thank you that you've done that and even the things we don't like look out there and you see the snow come down you're like oh no thank you Lord for the snow it is needed crops need to grow next year and we need some water it just happens to fall in more of a solid form here but anyways thankful thankful for those things job says hast thou entered into the treasures of the snow right think about that the the storehouse is what the word means you know where god makes the snow up in the clouds do you see it when it happens no i suppose if you could float in the cloud you would but you know what he blankets the earth with snow doesn't concern him i'm glad The Bible says, commit your way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Sometimes that's what I have to quote when I look at the snow. (laughs) It will pass. A few months from now, but it'll pass. That's the way it goes. But it's all kinds of things. Whatever the it is in your life, it may not be that at all. It may indeed instead be some great health scare that's going on in your life, or some very bad news, (laughs) or... Someone you love, there's something amiss in their life. The it. You know what we're to do? Commit our ways to the Lord. Wake up every day and just say, Lord, I'm going to commit my way to you today. By the way, if you do that day after day after day, habits are built like that. And habits become, uh, they say if you can do something for about 30 days, it becomes a habit. Some people it takes less than that. But if you can do something just continuously and doing it, it becomes a habit and it's harder to break. And imagine if you got up for the next 30 days and said, Lord, I'm committing my way to you today. And I'm going to walk your way. And you did that. What would it be like when we gathered um, just, well, it would be about Christmas time. Think about that. Just before the new year. What it would be like if we were committed to walk in his ways for Not only the next 30 days, but the next year. He shall bring it to pass. Listen, there's a lot that needs to go passing. And by the way, it will. There are people in this world that are hungry, and there are Christians in this world that are hungry, and they are hungry right now, physically. But I can tell you that someday 
that will pass because they will be into the very presence of God and the things in our life now we worry about the health issues the hunger issues right the relational issues those kind of things they will pass and it'll be good verse 6 Jesus feeds others through his disciples I've already kind of mentioned that because he wanted his disciples involved but he purposely used his disciples in the process that's verse 11 And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples. And the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish, as much as they wanted. Now, first of all, there's a number of things you can see in this passage, right? First of all, it was not just, like, chaos. It wasn't like, all right, open the the gate to the pig pen and let the pigs in. You know, sometimes that would happen, right? Or whatever. Um... And I don't mean to cite the children by any means, but I love to watch them on the Tim Hortons and the Tim Bits, right? This morning it was like all these hungry kids getting ready to go, go, go. Those doors opened to something. We're in there, and I think I saw cardboard flying and everything else. <laughs> yeah, they, they love those Tim Hortons uh, Tim Bits, right? I think we need two boxes next week. But uh, I just, as I was looking at that, it, there was order. Jesus had the men sit down, and then he took the bread and the fish, and the disciples. And he gave it to the disciples, and then the disciples went out, and they orderly distributed all this to them. By the way, God is a God of order, not chaos. Sometimes I think we, 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 we get the impression, because we are chaotic, that he's chaotic. He isn't. Over and over again, God does things, as Paul refers to, to the Corinthian church, let all things be done decently and in order. I think it's important that you do that. There should be some planning. And there was planning that went on. And I think the disciples didn't know the plan until it happened. But there was planning. Jesus already knew about it. It's a good thing. And I'm glad. So there is this idea, again, that uh, Jesus was going to use his disciples. And he wants us to be involved in those things. Whether they're great or, or small things, he wants them. And then we also learn this, that Jesus is enough to feed your soul. See, the point of this whole miracle was not just to feed people, because by the way, I've discovered that you can feed somebody a meal, and then in about three hours, four hours, guess what? They're thinking about the next meal. And Jesus didn't stay there and just continually feed, open up the Jesus house of bread, you know, soup kitchen or something. He didn't do that. Now, there's some people that have done that, and that's their ministry, and that's great. But I I would say this, that his ministry was not just to feed people bread, but to show people that he's enough. To desire him above your very bread. Because he's the bread of life. And again, verse 11 to 13, look what it says. And Jesus took the loaves... And when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. And so when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten The miracle here is this, that after all this is done, and that crowd 
they're on to the next thing, whatever it is. Actually, it was Jesus who was going to remove himself from there. The disciples took away from there 12 baskets of leftovers. They're probably the best leftovers you ever ate. Because they're leftovers that Jesus prepared. They're leftovers that showed that they would be provided for and that Jesus himself was enough. And it's interesting in this passage, you come to the very next section, and it's, it seems so out of place, if you just think about it, because it goes from hunger to a great storm. They, they get in a boat, and they're headed over, and Jesus is not with them, and they get into this, and they, all of a sudden this great wind comes up, and the disciples in the boat, they're all scared they're going to die. And Jesus is going to drive home to them a very important lesson, that he's enough. He's enough for their hunger. He's enough for the, the howling wind that is out there as well. In verse 15, and I close with these thoughts anyways, it says, Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. Here's the issue. They go from that great crowd being fed, and all of a sudden the people are like, Let's make him our king! I mean, after all, who wouldn't want a king that could give you bread anytime you wanted it? And by the way, we're like that. We'll elect anybody that promises us bread and can deliver at least in part. And I'll just say this, that wasn't what Jesus was about. Jesus perceived that they wanted to make him king because they were like, we want, this, we want our bread maker, all right? That wasn't what he wanted. And so instead, he departs from there to a mountain and he goes alone. And that's how the scene shifts. And now it says, when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea, got into the boat and went over the sea toward Capernaum. And it was already dark and Jesus had not come to them. Then the sea arose because of a great wind. A great wind was blowing. And so when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid. All the gospel writers uh, refer to this miracle of Jesus walking on the water. And it's interesting because John's gospel uh, leaves out some things uh, where the other ones have details uh, that are included. And I, I think it's, it's this way, because when you read through the gospel of John, John is about the big picture of who Christ is. Right? He begins not with the story of Bethlehem in John chapter 1, but the incarnation. The word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory of, as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is the very essence and glory of God in flesh. And Jesus is the bread of life. And so John records this event And he gives us this little bit. But he said to them, It is I, do not be afraid. And then they willingly received him into the boat, and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. The other gospel writers have a little more detail in when by the time Jesus walks on the water, and then having them journey the rest of the way to the other part of the land, John just says immediately. And I was thinking about that. Really what John is saying and what he records for us is that Jesus is enough. 
And when Jesus is in the boat, or when Jesus is there before a crowd that is hungry, Jesus is enough. And going through this life, there are times when you will be hungry. There will be times you'll be in some need, some great need. There will be times when it feels like the storms of life are just about to sink your boat. (laughs) Invite Jesus in. Because he's enough. He's always enough. Later on, Jesus would drive that home. And by the way, John says immediately. And I often think of that. Right now, in this life, it seems like it's awful drawn out sometimes. There are people with chronic pain that lasts for years. There are people that have had some, some hurt that's gone on in their life. And it's always going to be there until eventually you die. I had that discussion with somebody, long, it wasn't long ago, but a few years ago. And they had had some terrible thing happen in their life. And, and they said, is there any way I can ever be the same again? And I said, I said you're not going to like what I, what I tell you, but, but maybe not. It involved a trust issue. And I said, you may never trust that person again. Not the same way anyways. But it can be built. But you may never walk. It's just like being injured. If you injure your leg, you may never walk without a limp. But you can walk again. And this life is filled with those kind of things. But in the context of eternity, or in the greater understanding of the big picture, you know what? It's, we're going to go from this life and immediately be in his presence. Paul says that this is but a temporary time. That's it. It's just small. And in the grand scheme of eternity, you think about that, a few years on this earth is nothing. And it'll be just like immediately we'll be in his presence. I'm looking forward to that day. And we'll say, yes, Lord, it came. It came so quick. But I'm here finally. I'm there. Later on, Jesus would say to them, to his disciples, most assuredly I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is He who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. See, Jesus is the bread. Then they said to Him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. My friends, that's what it's all about. He's the bread of our salvation. And I'm glad later on John would write in his epistle, 1 John 2.2, For he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sin, ours only, but also for the whole world. He's enough. He's enough. Do you know him? If you don't know him, invite him in. Invite him in by faith. Ask him to, to feed you that bread from heaven, which is him and him alone. Lord God, we come before you thanking you once again for the gift of yourself. And Lord, as we think of these things that we've just gone over in this text, drive home to us, Lord, in our minds, the reality that Jesus is enough. And Lord, I thank you for that. And I thank you, O God, for your goodness and your love toward us that is eternal. And someday, Lord, we'll be immediately in your presence for all who believe and trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.